Welcome to the Soul Summit Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Levesque. I'm here to bridge the gap for women in the outdoors, build a community of adventure junkies, and roll out your weekly dose of positive vibes. With almost two decades in the health and fitness world and an untamable passion for hunting and the outdoors, my mission is to help you live a bucket list life and move boldly in the direction of your dreams. Meet us here weekly as I connect with like-minded men and women to discuss health and mindset, accountability, life and entrepreneurship, as well as all things hunting and epic untold stories. From the backcountry to the backyard, Sawyer offers family-friendly insect repellents for your skin, clothing, and gear. Protect yourself and your loved ones from disease-carrying ticks and mosquitoes before your next adventure. Whether you're an expecting mother or using around your favorite four-legged friends, Sawyer has insect repellent options to keep you protected. Did you hear in a 2017 study, they found that by treating your boots and socks alone with permethrin, you can reduce your chances of a tick bite by 73.6%. Don't wait until it's too late. Head to Sawyer.com to take a look at their entire line of products. That's S-A-W-Y-E-R.com. If you're in the market for some new optics, don't forget to check out Mavenbuilt. This consumer direct company is spinning heads, winning awards, and producing some of the best quality glass at a direct to consumer price. I've been using Maven's unrivaled binoculars and scopes for over seven years, and on every level, they've surpassed my expectations. Head over to mavenbuilt.com to check out their top of the line optics, read the reviews, and pull the trigger on new glass you've been eyeballing. That's mavenbuilt.com. Use the code soulsummit-gift for a surprise gift with purchase just for listening in to the show. This podcast is also proudly supported by the Her Outdoor Journey brand. Our mission is to create common ground for passionate outdoor junkies, bridge the gap for women that hunt, and inspire you to live your bucket list life. Hop on over to heroutdoorjourney.com to dive into the blog, find events near you, and join this community of outdoors men and women. That's heroutdoorjourney.com. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Soul Summit Podcast, and we are going to dive right in to this episode with Marina Treese. Uh, she does so much work in conservation. She is a passionate hunter, and the conversation with her, in fact, we've been talking online for years and years and years and, and recently got to connect in person, and it's been so great to know her, but I don't know if you ever know those people in your life that just make you think a little deeper about the things that you're doing, and that's exactly what Marina does, especially in the areas of hunting, conservation, and just being an outdoorsman and getting outside, and, and she really provoked me to think more about how I'm giving back instead of just taking, and I think as hunters sometimes, you know, it can feel a little one sided where we go out, we recreate, we hunt, we, you know, spend our time outdoors, hopefully we're successful, and we bring home meat. But how often are we thinking about giving back and how we can make impact? And I know many of us are, but this is a really good, refreshing conversation with Marina, where she really just encourages um, all of us to be stewards of the land to think about giving back and being impactful and doing things that help uh, the longevity of our wildlife. So this is a cool conversation and little did I know, but Marina and I have been talking about going to do an access hunt in Hawaii for years. And, uh, after this podcast concluded a couple days later, maybe that evening, she sent me a message and she's like, Hey, can you come to Hawaii with me this year in June? And she gave me some dates and 
I knew June was going to look a little crazy and the schedule right now, it's the busiest time of year for me. And I just said, yes, I will make it work. We'll make it happen. So we're following up this conversation. I get to go to Hawaii with her. I'm going to learn so much about a new species of deer. And I'm excited to just go and see what that looks like. Hunt at a different, you know, elevation, different topography, different environment altogether and get to like just go, you know, head head first into this whole thing, access deer on Hawaii. So there will likely be a follow-up ep- episode. I invited my dearest friend, Christine, and she's going to come with me. This is also a new and definitely a bucket list item for her. So there will be lots of follow-up. Be thinking about this once you listen to the episode. If you have questions on access deer or hunting in Hawaii or what that looks like, uh, to collect your questions, maybe put them in on social media, whether that's her outdoor journey or on this uh, Soul Summit Media uh, page. We'd love to hear what your questions are, and we can definitely cover that in a Q&A as a follow-up to this episode. But anyway, I'm going to, without further ado, just push you right into this episode. I hope you enjoy. Oh my gosh, I'm excited for today. I am joined on the other line with Marina Treese, and I'm super excited to sit here and have this conversation with you today. Uh, it's going to be such a joy for people to listen into. But before we dive right into all of the things, give us the overview of who you are, Marina. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, my name is Marina Treese. Um, I'm a Washington State native. And I grew up um, here in the Pacific Northwest on the water, and uh, I kind of got into hunting maybe in 2013 or so. And uh, I work in the sustainability field and conservation work, and I do leather work as well. And uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I feel like when I think to how my life started, I just grew up in the outdoors. My parents gave me a rock and a stick and had me play outside. And I've always kind of been drawn to that life. And uh, I love connecting with other people that are in the same field. And we've kind of talked back and forth for quite a few years now. And it feels great to actually be able to have a podcast together. I know. I'm super excited. And it was great. I got to meet you at the Puyallup Washington show uh, up there yeah. for the sportsman's show. And it was great to just connect with you because as soon as you rounded the corner and I saw your face, I'm like, Marina, <laughs> like it has. It's been years of just conversations online or through social media. And when you get to connect, you know, and see somebody and put a face to a name, it's really nice. And I think we, you know, we share a lot of commonalities and a lot of uh, similar passions as far as kind of making the connection between um, other people in the outdoors and just kind of networking and and all of that. So talk to me a little bit about what that's looked like for you. Um, I certainly want to hear a little bit more about your your background growing up with hunting and talk a lot about your um, your uh, experiences and your time in Hawaii. Uh, but first, go ahead and talk about those other things. Yeah, so I, you know, in growing up, um, I guess to start with the the hunting piece, my family didn't hunt a lot growing up. Uh, we were on the water quite a bit, though. We did a lot of crabbing, shrimp, um, some fishing, things like that. But uh, really, my hunting stuff started in Hawaii. I moved out there on a one-way ticket in 2011, and um, I got a bow put in my hand, and, um, you know, it kind of was a, a thing where I went, well, I've never really 
really done this before, but food security is a really big thing. And I ended up, you know, life kind of has its way of taking you places. And uh, I started my degree in animal sciences in University of Arizona in maybe 2004. Life happened and I took about a 12-year break. And then when I went back uh, to school, I went in Hawaii and I went for sustainability. And a big part of sustainability sciences is kind of subsistence lifestyle and working with the land and, you know, how do we perpetuate uh you know, conservation and stewardship for future generations. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is, is it's not just even about, you know, you or I, it's like for, you know, our children's children. And, you know, what does that look like? And so in doing that, I started doing archery and uh, access deer are the predominant uh, species of, um, you know, big game out in Maui, which is where I was living. And uh, I ended up, you know, I, I trained and trained and I was fortunate enough to have somebody who like kind of taught me initially. And then I branched out on my own and, you know, my first harvest ended up being a, a solo after two and a half years of kind of sitting in the woods and being made so many times and, you know, you sit down and you're like, my leg itches or this happens yeah. or that happens or, you know, all the pieces, but it kind of came together. And then once that happened, it just, uh, you know, really ignited this fire in me to want to not only provide food, you know, for myself and my family, but also to be able to share that with the people that I care about. And, you know, I think Maui was really amazing or is really amazing for community as well. Um, you know, I just, it's like a tribe and everybody comes together and it's just a very special thing. And I think when you do that around resilience and food security and conservation and, you know, stewardship, or we all share the same passions, it's a very special thing. It is. And, you know, you obviously, you just brought up something that I feel like is almost kind of a, a buzzword in the hunting community as it should be, but not necessarily in the ways that I feel like it should be portrayed. You know, people talk about conservation or I'm a conservationist. And I feel like a lot of times the true meaning of what conservation is, is really missed. So talk to me about what that means to you and what that looks like as far as, uh, you know, you talk about this sustainability to hunting uh, sustainability to wildlife, like what does that mean to you and how has your degree kind of shaped that opinion for you? Yeah, that's, that's a good question, actually. Thank you. Um, you know, when I started doing the degree in sustainable science management, um, I knew that my emphasis was going to be in natural resources. You know, some people go into energy, some people go into waste. Um, you know, there are a lot of different uh, avenues for approach. But for me, wildlife has always been an intrinsic part of who I am. And, you know, having said that, conservation, I think I actually approach things somewhat from a, a maybe alternative perspective um, when it comes to wildlife in the sense that I predominantly hunt, for example, like ungulates, deer, mm -hmm. um, you know, I will hunt uh, maybe like elk, you know, I'd really like to do elk too. Um, but not so much like predator management. And I think part of that comes from my background. So you talk conservation and, you know, it's a tough subject to talk about because I think a lot of times people, when they look at populations, for example, they're like, well, you know, these populations of, you know, wolves or coyotes or, you know, bears or things like that, they're all taking out all of these, uh, you know, 
smaller populations of elk, deer, etc. Mm-hmm. And they're making them much more vulnerable, you know. And for me, growing or spending time in Hawaii, the analogy that I think of is like with sharks. So sharks in the ocean have a tendency and predators in general have a tendency to remove sick or injured animals. And so they're actually doing a benefit to the ecosystem by removing animals that have some sort of issue going on. And that promotes Darwinism, right? Survival of the fittest. So that allows the like strongest animals to survive. And so for me, I see the benefit of having some of those in the populations to be able to manage the ecosystems. And so when I think of conservation, you know, I think of balance. I think of, you know, how do we, how do we... incorporate humans because that's an inevitable part of it now you know Mm -hmm. we have hunting is a big part of of how we you know interact and so how do we incorporate that and also perpetuate the ecosystems for future generations you know i think like one of the um you know like little taglines for access sustainability is cultivate resilience you know it's like how do you create this environment that is regenerative it's not you know sustainability is you know maintaining a thing like indefinitely and regeneration you know how do you allow this to like give back mm-hmm. what can you do besides just extraction you know hunting and taking animals off of the landscape what can you do to give back and that can be you know planting natives that can be looking at herd dynamics and figuring out, you know, maybe I really would like that big buck, but it could really help the population if I take out a doe. Or maybe, you know, this population actually has like some some decent spikes in here. So it'd be beneficial to do that so that the genes of the big, strong bucks or, you know, can continue. And then you're able to perpetuate healthier populations in the future. And I think it's, you know, it's a fine line to walk because, you know, sustainability, when I thought about it, um, you know, I think environmentalism in general like taking care of the planet is an important thing mm-hmm. but you you've got to have a seat at the table you've got to be able to come in and see other people's perspectives and see other people's views or if you just you know kind of stand on that pedestal and like this is the only way that things can happen you're not going to really people aren't going to respect you and you're not going to really be able to have a, you know a valuable conversation that's going to go anywhere and i think bridging that gap has been a one one of the big passions that i have is kind of creating an environment where people feel included and their voices heard. I love that so much. And you bring up some really great points. I have to ask you what your stance is. So from a from a hunter perspective, where do you think uh, somebody should be in the grand scheme of conservation? Like, is it enough for uh, somebody to just be a big game hunter? And not also try to try to get in and try to do some predator management. Do you think it's just enough for somebody to go out and kill the first legal animal they see? And of course, this is all really subject to opinion uh, in this conversation right now. But where do you think uh, our responsibilities are as hunters to, you know, do things like predation uh, or to think about management of those other things or to even think about, you know, volunteering for programs for maybe water restoration Talk to me about kind of what your thoughts are on all of that. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting thing. One of the programs that I'm working on right now um, for sustainability consulting and liaison services I'm starting in Hawaii is actually kind of along those lines where it's involving hunters um, for conservation. So it's engaging hunters for 
the ability to have access to properties and also be able to give back to those properties, you know, kind of as a give-give situation. So, you know, if you're going to come in and harvest an animal, what can you do to help that either that landowner or the land specifically as well, you know, in order to be able to promote future longevity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with that being said, like in Hawaii, it's a, a unique thing because they don't really have large predators out there. You know, there's no big game, no snakes, no bears, no cats, no wolves, nothing like that. It's like mongoose is the biggest thing. So, you know, for them, it's a little bit different. It would probably lean more towards, you know, habitat restoration. Mm -hmm. You know, what can you do there? What can you help do for, you know, the watersheds, et cetera? And on the mainland here, you know, I do think that there's a place for predator management, you know, especially if you have problem animals. Um, you know, a perfect case in point for that would be coyotes. And uh, I say that like from like Vashon Island, for example, which is where I grew up, uh, you know, they've, when I grew up as a kid, we used to be in all the ravines and stuff and it was totally safe. There were no issues. Um, I mean, I, I walked those things like alone as a kid all the time. And now they have massive populations of coyotes in there mm -hmm. that are starting to have a difficult interface with wildlife conflict and people because they're moving in and encroaching and we're encroaching on their habitat. And with that, you end up invariably having some problem animals, right? So for me, it would be like, okay, if you see an animal that is having, you know, issues, they're eating your chickens or they're coming in and, you know, trying to get into trash, if it, you know, something like that, then I can understand managing that animal, um, you know, with the understanding that coyotes actually have a very interesting evolutionary trait where if you start eradicating them on a grand scale and you just start taking out like a lot of members of the pack, they actually have the ability to reproduce in larger volumes mm -hmm. in order to have this vacuum effect almost where they bring in a whole bunch more because their their biological thing says, hey, we need, we're, we're dying off here. We need more. And so you can have a healthy, like sustainable population that generally keep to themselves, which, you know, in talking to farmers and ranchers on the island, they're like, we know they're there. And for the most part, they stay in their areas and we stay in ours. Sure. And, you know, we kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. But if we have ones that come in, yeah, we're going to remove those problem animals because that doesn't help promote, um, you know, they're going to teach their offspring, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to say, hey, this is a real easy meal to come in. And, and I don't think that that's, you know, necessarily a good thing. You know, I they had a cougar, for example, and this is, you know, it's again, it's like, you, you know, going into sustainability stuff, you're going to have to talk about hard subjects, right? And they had a cougar on the island um, a couple of years ago, and there there have been some, they swim out there. And um that one ended up starting to to go after like some alpacas, some ponies, things like that. And so they ended up, um, you know, destroying that animal, tra trapping it and destroying it. And, you know, and it's hard. Like, how do you open the conversation to say, well, what would be the pros and cons of maybe relocating that animal, mm -hmm. taking that animal out and, you know, releasing it somewhere super remote and giving an opportunity? And people are like, well, there are animals out there that have already established that territory. And to me, I'm like, OK, well, what about Darwinism? Maybe this animal would be stronger and would be able to take out that other one. And then that would promote better genes in the future. But, you know, either way, that animal has to get removed mm -hmm. from it. So, you know, for them, it ended up being, you know, they eradicated it. And, you know, it's just, I think anytime you're going to have human wildlife conflict or, you know, encroachment, you're going to have to address these concerns. Mm -hmm. And it's, 
I mean, obviously not a problem that's going away anytime soon uh, from either perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, and certainly you have those folks who look at things like, for example, wolves or mountain lions, and they're like, we want them all gone. So talk a little bit about kind of that mindset and how, you know, that can potentially be beneficial or contraindicating, uh, you know, to take out a species or to remove them completely. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are some of the insights behind that? Yeah, that's actually a, you know, that's a, that's an interesting topic too, because I feel like, um, you know, along the lines of ecosystem management, they have, it's, it's called trophic cascade, basically, where you have different species in the ecosystem that provide different uh, roles. And so each of those species, and that, I mean, that goes from things tiny, 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 all the way up to the grand predators, birds, things like that. And i when I think about when I think about those animals in general, I think, you know, wolves, for example, I grew up I grew up with my family. Uh, my mom, especially like loves wolves. And it's always been a thing where I never really saw myself as somebody who is interested in hunting them. At one point in my life, I lived in Idaho and you would see bumper stickers that are like, wolves smoke a pack a day, you know? And you're like, whoo, okay. Like (laughs) that's a totally different mindset than maybe I'm used to. Um, And when I think about them in the ecosystem, you know, it's similar to the sharks. Like they're going to remove the sick animals. They're going to remove um, a lot of the animals that maybe you know, weren't going to survive the winter or they weren't going to do as well. And then that gives the opportunity for more resources for some of the ones that aren't there. On the understanding of the fact that you're going to have animals that are creating issues. Mm -hmm. And if you have populations, you know, I mean, in Washington State, for example, like wolves are starting to kind of expand here in the States. And it's become a really interesting topic and kind of a, you know, a tense one because people feel very divergent in their Mm -hmm. views. And, um, you know, I was talking to a girlfriend the other day and she she and I were saying, you know, it's a you want to be able to you want to be able to have a conversation about it and how do you do it where you're going to make you're going to make it so that you're not just it has to be my way or the highway whether that's the environmental side of it that's like never harvest any of them or it's the side that says hey you know what we're having major declines in you know our elk populations like in the blue mountains for example mm-hmm. you know and you're seeing a lot of growth of these wolf packs and maybe those wolf packs are you know starting to predate some of the, you know, calves and cattle and livestock and things like that. Okay, so what can we do to kind of, you know, haze them? So that brings in a lot of alternatives too, right? There are a lot of different ways of predator management. I mean, you have, you know, bear dogs, you have livestock guardian dogs, you have hazing techniques, you have all these different things that you can do. And I understand if you do those and they don't work, Okay, you know, they there was a study not too long ago where they did that with cats, actually, Um, and they brought in hounds. And so they would haze these cats and track them and like study them over a period of time and see if the hazing techniques like actually worked for removing them from areas, Um, you know, and they were having some success with that. So, you know, for me. I probably err more on the side of of trying to get to work with them in the ecosystem with the understanding that they play a role. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, I would rather take a healthy animal out of the ecosystem. I don't really want to eat an elk that has like, you know, hoof rot or like has, you know, some some disease that chronic wasting disease, heaven forbid it comes, you know, this this way or, you know, something like that where 
you know, for sharks, for example, they eat something, they nullify the bacteria that's in there. And so they have the ability to actually like create a cleaner environment after being able to do that. And I know that, you know, foxes and a couple of other species have a similar, um, you know, ability. And so it's kind of an amazing thing where they're actually some of the cleaners, you know, within the ecosystem. And so complete eradication to me doesn't necessarily sit as well. I think, you know, I, I believe that all the animals like have a place in here. And I say that as a hunter, you know, I mean, I definitely like pretty much live off of game meat and I want to be able to continue to do that. So I understand that there has to be balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely has to be balance. And, and I think anytime you try to completely remove something, you know, whether that's, I mean, in any aspect of life, whether we're talking about, you know, animal populations or anything else, there's always the cause and effect you know, if you take something out, it, it just creates this menagerie of anything else to kind of become the imbalance, right? So it can, mm-hmm. it can definitely take over. And, and I think a lot about that, because I, I, you know, here in Oregon, our ungulate population is definitely not thriving. Um, and we're also, in my opinion, not managing predators in the way that we should to be effective, to actually manage the predator numbers. Um, so it's kind of a fine line. And I think people get very opinionated one way or the other without kind of really keeping in sight that middle line to create that balance. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Agreed. You know what I mean? You look at Hawaii, for example, with the axis deer, right? They brought in like 12 deer originally, and their populations are now estimated to be between 50 and 70,000. And there are no natural predators out there, right? Mm-hmm. Except for people. Mm-hmm. And now the government is kind of working to create like mass eradication plans. And so, you know, because people are hunting, but the biggest issue has been private land access because the deer know, and there, you know, there's not very much public hunting available. And so, you know, you've got to figure out, and I, I, I definitely think it's an issue here on the mainland too, of, you know, how do you get in to be able to manage these populations while understanding that it's a food source, Mm -hmm. right? So you don't want to just completely eradicate them, um, you know, but having some balance is a good thing. And if we can work with predators here on the mainland, you know, I mean, yes, removal of some of them, I think is probably beneficial. Leaving some of those populations, I also think is like a valuable thing for the ecosystem. And, you know, the deer, they're going to have to do some make some changes. And that's kind of part of, you know, what I'm trying to work on is being able to create an environment where, you know, the landowners create have trust in people to be ethical and like be stewards of the land and, you know, hunt with morals to say like, okay, I'm doing this because of food. I'm not going to waste. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's reasoning behind it and it's not just kind of, you know, run and gun type of deal. Well, I love that you really think about, you know, an animal and, and really preserving all of it that you can. I mean, everything from, you know, obviously the, the game meat, also the bones behind you, I see a beautiful hide that you've saved. So you're really (laughs) working to really honor, you know, the entire animal, which I definitely want to talk about, but, you know, on the topic of Hawaii, talk to me about the Maui Axis project. Yeah. So the Maui Axis project that I'm working on right now, um, you know, started in, uh, kind of a, 
post or like apocalyptic, uh, you know, my big why, I guess, is, okay, apocalypse is coming. What, you know, what do you want to do in theory, right? What do you want to do to be able to promote longevity for this? And, you know, how are you going to help the community around you? And so, you know, one of the big things that has come up repeatedly is um, how do we get access to be able to hunt in these areas where it's owned by private landowners and you know they do have they do have public land hunting out there but uh it's very limited and you know there there are a lot of people out there trying to go after the same resource Mm -hmm. so uh right now it's kind of in its infancy but uh right now i'm working to create a network of people who are hunters seeking access and also the landowners, you know, and I know there are quite a few projects out there of like similar people doing things like this across the mainland as well. And I think it's an amazing thing because it's creating a, you know, an environment where people can have access and give back. Mm -hmm. And so a big part of this project is that give back component. And along those lines is habitat restoration. I think a lot of it started for me in uh, 2016 when I graduated with my degree. My my final thesis was on natural resource protection for economic resilience. So how do you take care of your resources and help the economy be able Mm. to continue and, you know, provide food for people and food security. You know, Hawaii, for example, if you cut off resources from the mainland, you have about five days worth of supplies. And that's not very much Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things. And so how do you make it so that it's, you know, number one, affordable, number two, accessible, number three, what skills do people have that they can give back? Do you want to come and plant natives in an area? Do you want to come and remove invasives? Do you have um, fencing skills where you can help you know, property owners that are like, hey, I have this garden. I don't mind having hunting in this part of the property, but I want this part to be kind of isolated so that I can utilize it, you know? And so it gives incentive to the landowners to want to provide access. And it also gives the hunters kind of a incentive to be invested. Mm -hmm. They want to give back because, you know, it's not just coming in and harvesting an animal and, and taking what pieces you want and leaving. It's okay what can I use out of this animal? What am I ethically going to do when I go choose an animal to hunt? What am I going to do to give back to that property? And, you know, what's that going to do for the future? And in maybe 2016, 17, I worked, uh, volunteered for a project they have on Maui called Oahi. And it's actually a really cool thing. They have, I don't know, several different locations right now that are in some of the remote areas of the island where they've put in fencing around the top of the mountain or a big part of the you know side top of the mountain and they have done a lot of native plant restoration so we went up there and did a lot of propagation of all of these native species and i mean you're in some of the most beautiful country you've ever seen and they have if you look at aerial views of maui you can see they have like a 20-year one a 15-year one a six-year one etc and so they keep expanding these areas and that brings back native birds that brings back a lot of you know species that you wouldn't see otherwise in in Hawaii specifically, you have a large number of endangered species. So whatever can be done to kind of, you know, manage the deer population with the understanding that it's still a food source and promote 
the longevity for the you know the native species, the endemics, is a really valuable thing. Mm-hmm. Such great work you're doing and so important. And I love that you just exude passion when you talk about it. (laughs) Obviously something that means a lot to you, uh, which is really cool, but it is only a piece of what you do. Talk to me a little bit about the other aspects of your life. Yeah. So I, I guess when I started hunting, um, I really wanted to learn how to process the animal as a whole. And what did that even look like? And I had no idea. You know, I got that that first year and I was like, okay, now what? Like, you know, and I thankfully had some really good friends of mine. I invited over. We had meat blur and they helped me, you know, package and process and do all the butchering and all the things for it. And um, and then I had this hide and I wanted to be able to tan it, but I'd never done it and I didn't really know. And so I kind of, (laughs) you know, I think back to it now and I'm like, oh my gosh, it was just such a learning curve, you know, but you're trying to flesh it and you're trying to get all of the meat parts off so you can cure it and this and that. And I had this old chicken coop and I was trying to dry it in the chicken coop on the stand. It's just, it's so funny when I think about it now, but you know, I did it and I was like, okay, but it didn't quite work. You know, it didn't, it wasn't exactly the way that I wanted it. And thankfully I had a girlfriend of mine that uh, does a lot of leather work. And she said, Hey, you know, bring it over here. We'll try and tan it and see, um, you know, I've got what's called bark tanning, which, uh, they use wattle trees and, um, that's a, it's an invasive, but there's a ton of it in, uh, in Maui. So it actually ends up being invasive species management and, um, invasive species management for the deer. So you take the bark of the tree and it creates, it has a lot of tannins in it and it creates this, uh, tea and you can put the hides in them and soak them for three or four months or so. And it turns out this like beautiful, rich mahogany color, the hair all comes off everything and ended up being this really beautiful hide. And, you know, I went, wow, okay, so that works. Now what can I make with this? And so I started doing a bunch of leather crafting stuff and you know I was hand stitching at first and um, you know I made a few things and I was like oh well this is kind of cool and so then I harvested another animal and when that happened I was like okay well can I do this now with the hair on and so I started learning different techniques of being able to do that and um, you know each one progressively has improved you know as as learning does with most things and now it's kind of evolved into this leather craftsmanship business um, and and some of that, some of the hides I get from, you know, friends or family or acquaintances that harvest uh, animals. I've got a buffalo, a couple of elk and a mule deer with some access deer in the freezers right now, taking a fair amount of freezer space. <laughs> <I bet. laughs> but those, <laughs> those will be the next ones to tan. And um, I ended up getting an industrial sewing machine, which has been awesome. Wow. Her name's the Empress. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so now, yeah, now it's like a way... It's an avenue for me to be able to relate to people on sustainability. You know, it's it kind of is the next step. So hunting is part one, you know, and then processing is part two and preserving. And then part three is the leather work. Mm-hmm. And how do you, you know, you really utilize all of these pieces of this animal. So, you know, none of it goes to waste. And, um, you know, and those pieces end up lasting invariably, you know, indefinitely. So it's a it's a pretty cool thing. So that's kind of how my Mountain Wanderers design started was, you know, a sustainability in mind and all the packaging is all, you know, recyclable and like natural materials. And, um, you know, I think a lot of it is just, 
wanting to reduce the carbon footprint, you know, do things in a way that I'm not using, um, you know, a lot of plastics or things like that. And it's kind of how I live my life, you know, I mean, pretty much only like glass or, you know, metal, things like that, very little plastic and, and or natural materials. And uh, it's yeah, it's been it's been awesome. The commissions are growing and um, now it's going back to Maui here soon to be able to harvest some more and uh, start tanning some more. I love it. You have your hand mm-hmm. in every aspect of the outdoors, you know, from, you know, just giving back to our land, uh, taking from the land, but also doing it in a way that is just, you know, like you've you've said it's just it's sustainable uh it's something that you can feel good about um it's a way to honor the animals uh you're nourishing your body i just i love what you do how you do it and the passion like i said the passion that you have behind it is uh hopefully going to be really uh well received and food for thought for the people listening in today uh i do have to ask though if you have somebody listening in today to this episode who has never maybe thought about conservation in these ways, what would be your advice in kind of helping them get their hands involved in some of these projects? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, f- I guess I, what I would say, number one would be there are a lot of community organizations, depending on where you live, there are a lot of community organizations uh, that specifically cater to natives. I, I, I like for sure would promote if you're going to do any sort of habitat restoration stuff go the native native or endemic route you know here in the pacific northwest for example um you know on a micro scale if you have land or property and you're going to plant things plant native plants you know that will bring in a lot of native species in its locality right i mean we have the ability to bring in a lot of other stuff but if you can plant native things um to get involved in you know outdoor things like get outside go you know go hike you're going to meet a lot of people when you go out and do that too i think that's one of the amazing things about being in the outdoors and you know for sure social media this mm-hmm. has been huge you know i i feel like you know it's long those lines of the tribe again um you meet people that you align with and if you do take take on that challenge say okay you know what i might be nervous i might be not sure i might be like oh you know and i think there are times that i've absolutely been like that before too and you go do the thing and you feel so much better afterwards and nine times out of ten the people are feeling the same way and they're like oh hey you do this too and like oh let's go try this or i really like what you're doing and i'd like to do it too you know feel free reach out to me at any point as well i am happy to pass on any information i can you know i've met um, people on both sides of that. Some people are very selective about what they want to share and, you know, because mm-hmm. it's their businesses and this and that. And, you know, for me, I feel like I am a serial learner and a teacher. I love both of those things. And I want to be able to share everything that I can, the things that I've learned that worked, the things that I've learned that mm, maybe I'll do this a little bit differently next time. Um, you know, I feel fortunate that a lot of, you know, like archery, for example, is is a similar thing where people have passed on a lot of knowledge to me and that's helped me become more successful mm-hmm. like being in the outdoors you know hey can you do this and this and this no okay let's like figure out what we need to do to be able to make that happen and you know there are a lot of resources out there um you know there are a lot of free courses too i think uh, through the different counties um i've 
attended several here in Washington state, or if you just go look into conservation, um, they'll have like free master classes or, you know, in-person classes where you can go and get involved in water management or, you know, wildlife management, all sorts of different things. And, uh, it's an amazing thing now, especially with the ability to connect through the Internet, yeah. honestly, where you're able to see things that you would have never had exposure to before. It's such a collective experience and, and you know, a wealth of information, you know, some of it certainly taking with a grain of salt or, you know, maybe maybe listening to or or, um, you know, experiencing firsthand and then kind of doing it in your way. But that is the beauty um, of this community of outdoorsmen and women. Um, and also just, you know, you touched on the social media piece. There's a lot online. There's a lot going both ways, both good and bad. But I think that there really are a lot of people like yourself that, you know, others can reach out to and learn from and really be inspired by. So uh, the beauty is there's always room to learn, grow and evolve yourself uh, when it comes to all things outdoors, which is pretty awesome. It's very true. It's very true. And it's humbling, yeah. you know, when you when you go into it and you may be new at something like there's some discomfort that's going to be associated with that. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. you bring up a really good point in that, too, that, um, you know, a lot of this is kind of us getting out of our own way where, you know, we're always like the most critical on ourselves. And, you know, a big part of yeah. the outdoors in general and, you know, this access program and, you know, Mount Wanderers and all of these things has been to be open to receiving all of the things that are opportunities for you and also to understand that there are going to be times when you're going to be uncertain about it and you can still keep going and you can pivot. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't feel right and something changes, then that's okay. You know, you're able to make that change and move forward and know that there are other people out there that are going through the same things. Absolutely. hundred percent. Well, this conversation has definitely been inspiring and um, you really make me want to do a better job and being more cognizant of my footprint in the outdoors. And, you know, I think a lot of times for me, um, you know, it can be a one way street. It can be a take uh, when it comes to hunting for me. Uh, certainly I do my part to pick up after others and leave no trace and all of those things, but I can definitely do a better job of giving more than I take. So thank you for inspiring me in that way today. I appreciate that very much. Um, I have to say yeah. you are one of the only guests that has come with a couple questions for me. So we'll save just a couple <laughs> minutes to do that. Yeah. But uh, I will <laughs> let you take the hot seat here for a minute. Sure. Yeah, it's a you know, that's a, a funny thing. I I feel like maybe it's that serial learner side mm -hmm. of me. And, you know, you've been such an inspiration to me for quite a few years now and on that like social media piece and just inspiring women and, you know, getting outside and doing the things. And so, um, you know, this started a few years ago where I start asking like a select few, you know, questions for I think people will enjoy it. And, you know, maybe like I, I definitely enjoy it as well. And one of those is uh, for a piece of life advice, something, you know, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be hunting related, but something that like has really been poignant for you that has really been an influential part of making you who you are and that you would like to be able to share with the people that are around you. I have to say just making yourself a priority and taking care of yourself. Um, again, it's a buzzword. It's a buzz topic, you know, self-care, but it's so important. And I don't 
truly believe for myself, and I think this is true for most people, you can't be your best version in your job, in your family, in your partnerships, um, if you're not first taking care of your basic needs, which aren't just like food, water, sleep, it's, you know, movement, it's meditation, maybe it's prayer, maybe Mm -hmm. it's, you know, but it's finding out what you need as an individual. For me, it's movement and the outdoors. Like if I am not adding those Mm -hmm. things into my self-care routine, mentally, I fall apart, which means that I can't show up in the best ways in other areas. Um, And I know that when I talk to a lot of women specifically about this, there's guilt. You know, self-care is Mm -hmm. always intertwined with guilt. But I want to just remind anybody listening in that might be in that place right now, or so busy that they feel like they can't, you know, go for the walk or eat better or meal prep or meditate or do yoga or whatever it is for you. You have the time. It's about priorities. Mm -hmm. And you can be a much better, more kind, more gentle version of yourself if you show it for you first. 100%. That's, yeah, that's an invaluable lesson. I think, you know, it's like you can't give from a half empty cup. Mm -hmm. And you're right that it's hard, the guilt kind of that's associated with it or the, oh, I have this to do and this, that and the other. And, you know, I don't know that there's time for it. And you're right. When you do it, (laughs) you recognize like, oh, man, I'm way better at those things. Even if that's a, you know, 10 minute break to go stretch your legs for a Mm -hmm. second before you have to come back and work Mm -hmm. again or, you know, whatever the thing is. Yeah, love that on, makes love a lot on your of dog. Sense. Yeah, or go pet the yeah. cat or mm-hmm. go feed mm-hmm. the birds outside or whatever. But yeah, I just think that, you know, really, we we don't do not all of us do a very good job at that. And I think once you start to make yourself a habit, make your make your needs um, a part of the checklist for the day, I think that you can find a lot more joy. Very true. Very true. Kind of leads to the second question, um, which is, you know, on maybe one of the like more difficult sides of it is like, what do you think has been one of the biggest hurdles or like struggles that you've had in the conservation and hunting world? And, you know, what what approach have you taken to that? I think for me, um, speaking from this place I'm in now, you know, where I have somewhat of a voice and I try to reach other women. I think for me, the biggest hurdle is remembering that I'm still learning. And I think when it comes to um, hunting specifically, you're never a pro, you're never, you know, you've never really made it. And so, you know, showing up and remembering that, you know, it's okay to not know everything. Um, And, and it, pretty beneficial to not know everything because then you can be a sponge for learning and growing and, and having experiences that you didn't have before. Um, and I think that at some points in my career, that's kind of kept me in a box a little bit because I'm not mm-hmm. one that will ever show up uh, to lead something that I don't feel qualified for. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes I'll have people reach out and, Hey, can you do a camp on this? Or can you do a camp for this? And if it's not mine to teach, I won't teach it. Um, but mm-hmm. I think that that's probably been one of the hardest pieces for me is being a little bit too critical on myself um, of feeling like I can share or I can pass that knowledge on. But what I've learned through that is that I have such a great connection and network through other people who do know the things that I'm weak in, like yourself, that I can pass others on to. And so that's the beauty of it. Our weaknesses can sometimes be our strengths in learning 
Yeah, I think that, you know, that brings that humility piece mm-hmm. too, right? Because then you're able to be open to learning. Yep. And, you know, the skill like teaching is valuable as well, but like learning and having that mindset where, you know, it's like the the more you learn, the less you know, right? Oh, <laughs> like yeah. You're like trying to, and I think going into it with that space of, okay, like what can I, what can I absorb from this situation? Yeah. And, you know, how, you know, how can I, like, like connect with these other people, that's how you make these connections. You're absolutely right. You know, that's how you're, I mean, the people that I have met over the last several years, just in general, they build on your inspiration too. Mm -hmm. You know, you're inspired by them, they're inspired by you and you just continue to grow. And that's an amazing gift. And I think, you know, it also allows us to feel safe and open to to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and to allow those things to happen because we're like, you know what, this is not something that I'm an expert in. And I see that, you know, you have experience in that. What, what can we gain Mm -hmm. from that? What can we allow to to happen? And that's huge, you know, that, that it's a lot more inclusive for people too, I think. And well, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. That that's what unites people is, Mm -hmm. you know, when you, when you look at, a group of people or, you know, uh, this, this tribe, you know, you don't have a group of people where everybody knows the same thing. A strong group of people has a diverse um, dynamic where everybody has a different strength and weakness. And that's what Mm -hmm. makes it so amazing. um, Mm -hmm. Because you really do get to link arms and and feel like you're more connected because where you might be able to carry somebody, they're going to carry you in a different way. And that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Yeah. That kind of leads to the next question, actually, <laughs> which is perfect segues <laughs> like perfect going on here. Segues. Yeah. <laughs> you're on it. Um, what is one of your biggest wins as an entrepreneur and like small business owner in the outdoor world? What do you what do you feel like, you know, when you think of your whole spectrum of, of life in this industry? What? Yeah. What do you think of one of your big wins? There was a couple things that immediately popped up when you asked that. But I have to go back to connection. So women will come into my camps as strangers. They're terrified. They tiptoe in, they like try to talk themselves out of even coming, right? They're, they're on the fence. Mm -hmm. They're like, I might no show this camp this weekend. They walk in terrified. They're shaking. They're physically just not, not quite sure what they're getting themselves into. And over the course of two and a half days, these women connect with other women that they didn't know existed, that they didn't know shared such similar experiences, whether that's in the outdoors or in their personal lives. They go home literally in tears, hugging each other's necks, sharing information, sharing contact. And this last year, so that for me is a beautiful thing. But to speak specifically about my biggest um, win was this last year at our archery camp. We had a handful of women come from uh, a specific area of Oregon that didn't know each other. And now they're going to 3D shoots together and they're meeting up in different states to go and do adventures or have experiences. And, you know, some of those women tagged their first animals this year. And to me, that's the win is them leaving feeling like they have a support 
crew, hype women, you know, people that will stand behind them and champion them when they, when they have victories or will support them when they have questions. And that to me is the ultimate why and why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. It's such a special thing. Mm -hmm. And I just, it's like a contagious energy too. You know, I like knew just in, in observing before I even got to like meet you in person, it was this, you know, it's this energy of just being able to create a space where people can meet and connect over common interests and passions and, you know, move through these experiences that really like anxiety and, you know, the uncertainty can be crippling. Mm -hmm. And then to be able to come through that and then have such amazing connections promotes this really positive experience Mm -hmm. too. And it allows people to say, oh my gosh, there are so many other people out there that do this thing. And, you know, this ends up being this group of people that I just am very connected with now. And that can be lifelong. Mm -hmm. And that's an amazing, it's an amazing gift. And you have, you have a gift of being able to connect people in that way. And that's a very special thing. Mm, Thank you. I honestly feel (laughs) honored. And sometimes I have to pinch myself and remind myself like, this is my job. This is amazing. Like, how did I get so lucky? (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. And I think the final question that I have um, is, what is one thing you've learned as a bow hunter, a fellow bow hunter, uh, that's changed the way you look at life, that's changed the way that you interact in the world around you and with the people around you and with the environment? Oh, that's a really good question, because I feel like I've learned so many things in a really short seven years of bow hunting. Um but I think really it comes down to trusting your instincts. Um, I think the more, you know, I've hunted my entire life, but bow hunting is way different. You have to connect. You can get lucky rifle hunting. You can just find them in a unit, right? You can just, they can just be there. Um, with bow hunting, you really have to put yourself in the right positions. You have to read animals a little bit more. Um, and I think at the end of the day, if you start to second guess the moves you need to make in a bow hunting situation, that's typically where I go wrong. It's like, trust that initial gut, that knee jerk reaction, trust it. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, for example, Mm -hmm. this year I, you know, the deer, the buck that I wanted to kill hadn't been coming around. And that day I woke up and I was like, that buck's coming today. There was no reason the weather wasn't right for it. Nothing was right for this buck, but I was like, he's going to come out today. And he came Mm -hmm. out today, you know? So it was just like, had I second guessed that and been like, no, you should do this, that, and the other thing, or felt guilt or felt, you know, anything else that would have come together. So I think just not second guessing your intuition and trusting that gut gut Mm -hmm. instinct, whether that's in the field or in life, I think that there's nothing more important than trusting yourself. That's so true. You know, it's uh, that is a very insightful piece of advice too, because I think a lot of times, um, you know, whether it's people pleasing or whether it's, you know, uncertainty because we don't have a lot of experience or whatever the reasoning is behind not trusting that, you know, that little voice that might be, you know, might be like a twinge you feel, or it might be this little thing that says, mm, I'm not sure if this is going to happen or, you know, I don't know, but listening to that mm-hmm. when it happens is an incredible thing. I had a similar one like that too. And, and you just like something 
something shifts and it just comes into your purview and it might be fleeting, you know, but it was like the deer coming. Mm -hmm. Like I knew that like this was going to happen. And, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine, you know, through text message and I was like, I feel it like this is happening. And, you know, I'll be 20 minutes later, here they come right down the thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, and she's like, you knew it. Like you knew that that was going to happen. And that's such a special thing too, because the more you exercise that muscle, you know, the more that it gives value to you trusting yourself too. And I think that, you know, that's a very um, important part Mm -hmm. of, you know, hunting in general is really having that self-trust and that intuition. And, you know, if something feels off, recognize that if something feels right recognize that too well and the beauty it doesn't go or excuse me and the chance that it doesn't go the way you expected or thought it would it's the perfect opportunity Mm -hmm. to learn so you're not going yes you're not going wrong you're not that's not that's not a that's not a loss by any means you know so it's just a it's just a great thing either one you get to you know go yep okay my intuition is right or you know that was that was spot on or on the contrary, like that didn't go the way I thought, okay, I'm not sure why you have time to make that assessment and then learn from the situation or experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're so awesome. Oh, it's been such a treat. I know. This, <laughs> so are you. this has been fantastic. Um, we have to get together in person, go adventure or do yes. something together for sure. Yes. Uh, in the meantime, tell the listeners where they can connect with you online, see all of the things, keep in touch, yep. or maybe even reach out to you. Absolutely. Uh, so I think maybe one of the easiest ways would be through IG, which is going to be at axis underscore sustainability, um, or the leather craftsmanship is at mountain dot wanderess, W-A-N-D-E-R-E-S-S dot designs. Um, both have websites as well, axissustainability.com or mountainwanderess.com. Um, and that's where the leather products will be. And also any sustainable sustainability consulting stuff will be on access and on Instagram. Please feel free to reach out at any point. I'm more than happy to answer any questions you have on, um, you know, any of the knowledge that I may or may not have on the subject, uh, you know, bow hunting or preserving canning foods or doing any of the hide tanning leather work stuff. Um, I'm more than happy to share. Just a wealth of knowledge and just a gem to be around too. Thank you so much for being on today, Marina. It has been truly my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Once again, thank you for tuning into the show. We hope that your cup is full and you're ready to embrace your untamable vibe. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a favor? Help us grow our audience by sharing your favorite episode on social media, sending the episode to a friend and leaving us a review online. We love to hear from you. One more thing, be sure to press that subscribe button and never miss a weekly episode. See you next week.